0: I was bragging a few weeks ago or wasn't, I wasn't bragging I was just kind of telling you guys about um, the goodness of God and kind of um, how I grew up and I was so privileged to grow up in a place where people were just chasing Christ and and it was he was literally changing their lives and you know just I'm kind of nervous right now that was the quickest change I've ever had in my life <laughs> I was singing with the choir and I'm wondering if anything's on backwards right now. So if it is, just don't tell me. So, wow. So anyway, I grew up in this amazing church. Uh, it was called Mulberry Baptist Church. And uh, I, I told you about it. Just you never knew what was going to happen there except that Jesus was going to be rich among us. And so I have some friends that popped in here from Mulberry. And so can you just say hello? And, and um, this is going to be really bad because I, 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 didn't, I didn't even catch your name. And I'm, you're going to have to tell me that. Because, wait, the last time I saw you, I was 16 years old. That was 10 years ago. <laughs> you were at the heart. How beautiful. I know that. I know that. It's been a couple of years, though. So this is the Hartleys. Can you say hello to them? Hello. This is so fun for me. So I was, I was actually bragging about Mulberry, just how God used that place in, in crazy ways throughout the 70s and 80s. changed my life. Folks like you guys, and I, I was telling you guys just I mean now they can vouch for this, please uh, starting with you guys, no stories about me don't ask that childhood was a little bit raucous, we had a lot of fun we re- I was the preacher's kid, and I lived at that church, and I loved that church it was, but I had high energy, too. can you imagine that and so um, but I was telling them about just how. The altar would be flooded with people at times, and we would sing songs, and I just remember the adults. I did, in fact, I was a, a small child, and, and you were probably some of the adults I followed. Everyone would be just kneeling and seeking Christ, and I would just be down the middle. I didn't really know what I was doing. I just knew that they were teaching me what it looks like to go after the Lord. And when we saw hundreds and hundreds of people come to know Christ uh, growing up in that fellowship. And so it's beautiful to have folks come in and visit uh, from NBC, That's what they said. You're at NBC again. I'm like, isn't that neat? <laughs> this is fun. And that fits so perfectly because I want to talk about this subject in the sixth chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. Um, Moses is telling his people some powerful things about heart and about passion and about zeal for the things of God. And he's really looking at us and saying, there's a culture that surrounds us, and I think we could all agree with this, that it, that is antithetical to the things of God. And and he's looking and saying, you're going to walk into a culture that is not fixated on the heart of God, that doesn't fight for the heart of God. That's the culture we walk out into today in just a couple of minutes. And so he's just looking at the church. And he's looking at the people of Israel and saying, given that truth, here's what I want you to know. And he begins to paint out some things for them and what what, um, people to this day know as the Shema. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 12. Some powerful, powerful truths. And, and then it becomes even more profound when you understand that when, when Jesus was being tested and said, of the entirety of the law, of all that's written in the law, in the Pentateuch, in the first five books of the Bible, what do you deem as the, as the penultimate? And Jesus actually quoted a portion of this verse and it's very familiar from us in, in Matthew 22. He says, love the Lord your God. With all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. And then Jesus kind of tagged on to the Shema. oh, by the way, love your neighbor. as you love yourself because you understand who you are in Christ. You understand your biblical identity. And so so Moses um, is writing to the people saying, please don't walk into this culture unaware that you're walking into a culture that will be anything but what you should be a passion about and so here's here's what I want you to do I want you to flip a light on for everybody around you and I want you to understand that this is what you're to illuminate the shoe bread. you're to illuminate the reality of the living God for us in the New Testament church we are flipping the light on constantly and saying Jesus is the Lord of our lives He changes everything. He turns our lives inside out. He transforms us. When we're sitting in a room, whether it be you sitting in this room, or I couldn't redo what happened in a two or three hour dialogue yesterday. But when you start to hear about people groups, you feel like, God, I want to turn that light on. Because that's a New Testament picture. Your light, your heart is just moved toward that because that's where God's heart is moving. And as our hearts are saying, God, how do we illuminate? It's just natural. We're going, are you kidding me? I mean, God, we really could be in the middle of that. When, when you hear that number, we live in a city of 1.1, 1.2 million, half of which or more than half of which don't have an identity, not just with the church, but we're going to kind of make a conjecture here. If, if they don't have an identity with the church, they don't have an identity with Christ. That moves us to just say, Lord, not... Not let's throw a stone at that, but Lord, let's bring the bread of life, the feast for which you have given us to take in and let's bring that out and say, God, we've got enough. Wait a second, city, we've got enough and there's 12 baskets left over. We have the food that you need. We have the hope that you need and we bring that. And that's, that's, what, um, that's what is being written by Moses to a group of people in the, in the Shemites. He just says, Look, I want you to be about this. I want you to illuminate this. I want this to be the passion of your, of your soul. We're, we're in a series. This is kind of week three, really week two, because um, we got all caught up and excited in, in the life change that God's going to bring through a student pastor and casting us into missions throughout the city last week. And, you know, wow, it, good things are coming. Good things are here. And, I, and what, what, what chapter did I say? Because I've messed this up every time. Deuteronomy 6. Thank you, because every, every time I say it wrong and I don't know what, what's wrong with me. Look, look, here's what he says. In Deuteronomy 6, the fourth verse, he says, I'm going to read through verse 12. This is what I want you to know. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Hear, O beautiful church at Mandarin, the Lord our God, he is one God. He is a sufficient God, a sustaining God, a hopeful God. And the Lord our God, he is one. And that's, that's where he wants us to land and begin. And to say all of life, all of our creative imagination, I kind of have two words, I don't think I'll get to the second word today. Just this, the imagination of, of Moses in this moment is to say, I imagine a people who are centered around the Lord our God, the Lord who is one. I see a people walking, here's what he's picturing, he says, I see a people walking among all of the people groups in the land, and they're walking as a peculiar people, they're walking as a passionate people, they're walking as a centered people, and I imagine this, I see them at their heartbeat saying, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and I see them in their actions Their priorities, their passions, where they give their heart, where they give their hope. I see them fleshing this out. I think that's what Moses is saying. And I think he's saying, I'm going to be a part of the cloud of witnesses. I'm not going to get to walk this land with them. But I'm going to cast them into this land. And I'm going to say, go and live with passion for the things of God. Because here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You can amen that every time I say it. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. These commandments that I give you today, they're to be on your hearts. And this is where it really becomes imaginative. And we get to impress them on our children. We get to talk about them when we sit at home and when we walk along the road, when we lie down and when we get up, we tie them as symbols on our hands and we bind them on our foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and write them on your gates O ye people celebrate the greatness of God. And when the Lord God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, I love this part, a land with large flourishing cities that you did not build. This is not about you. You can take these thoughts all the way back to verse 4 and these have critical application to where we are in this day. As God blesses you with things you did not build with your own hands. As he gives you wells for which you didn't dig. He gives you vineyards and olive groves and you're satisfied. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord. Be careful of that. Because this is who the Lord is and I love the New Testament application He is the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. He is the Lord who rescued you from slavery. He is the Lord in the New Testament view who actually look at Psalm 40, look at Colossians 1. He rescued you from the miry clay and set your feet upon the rock and now you know. He rescued you. If you don't like that one, it doesn't move your heart. He rescued you. This just blows me away. He reached into the midst of the domain of darkness and rescued me and lifted me out of that domain. If you're in Christ, he lifted you out of that domain. And he didn't just lift you out and say, good luck. He placed you in the kingdom of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who he loves. Praise God. And that's the rescue. And he says, look, you're going to have this risk. And if this isn't applying to you yet, it ought to start sinking in. You're going to have this risk. You're going to go into a land that you didn't build and have things that you didn't build and drink waters that you didn't dig for and eat food that you didn't harvest. And you're going to actually start to think it's about you. But hear this, O oh Israel. Hear this, O oh people that circle around the living God in this room and are asking this question about our mission are we existing to lead people? And that's all I want to go to today. Are we leading people to this reality that the Lord God is one? The Lord God is our sufficiency. That the Lord God is our strength. That the Lord God is the one who dug the wells. That the Lord God is the one who grows the harvest. That the Lord God is the one who's built the homes. That the Lord God is the one who has given us the talents, the resources, and anything else to sustain ourselves. That He alone is worthy. And he alone is who we come and we worship. And so otherwise, we'll walk in the land and start thinking it's about us. It's about our story. And that would be a major whiff. It would be a miss of the highest order. And so he's looking at them and saying, I'm asking you. I'm asking you to come and to lead. We exist to lead. Here's what leaders know. Leaders know where they're going. Leaders are charting your course. Leaders are paving a path. Leaders have a clear possession of their hearts. Leaders lead. And I'm just asking you, this is the mission of our church, and this is what we're talking about the first few weeks of this year. We exist to lead people, and I'm just wondering. I'm wondering, not that you want to pawn this off on a pastor or a staff or a choir. Let's put this directly in front of us. So where are you leading? And and I, I love this. It's straight out of, I think, a Louis Giglio book, Air I Breathe. Where he says, if you want to understand the trail of your life, follow your time, your treasure, your possessions, what keeps you up at night, what you dream about when you lay your head on the pillow. At three in the morning when you wake up, if you want to understand what it is that you worship, follow that trail, time, possessions, passions, thoughts, those things that keep you going. And you'll find at the end of that trail an altar and that, that's where you're leading And the Lord is just looking at us and saying, at the altar, here's what I want you to have. And he's not unequivocal about this. He is unequivocal. He's not equivocal about this. The Lord, our God. He's the Lord. He is one. And the only surviving element at the end of our lives, if we are to understand that we are to lead, to transform living, is to be able to say, God, at the end of the trail of our lives, it's you. It's all for you. We didn't build this. We're not, here. Here's, we're not here to build our own life. We're not here on this planet to build your name. I love our student pastor. And this has harbored in my soul for the entirety of this week. God, we're not here to fabricate our own story. We are in this room right now to collectively together say we're holding each other accountable to this. We have traded, we're not trading, we have traded our story on this planet for a much greater, much broader, much more eternal story. And so as long as we walk this earth, we walk with the fame of Christ at the centrality of our focus. That's where we land and we begin to say, God, you, oh Lord, you are one. And we're trading stories, we're trading passions and saying, God, that's, you're, you're the only name. Under heaven by which men are saved, you're the only name that I want to lift up. God, I want to lead others toward you. One of my um, favorite films of all time, I, I can't say the name of it because it's you know rated. in a, it's, it's, I like epic films, let me just put it that way. I love epic stories, epic films. Sometimes they're a little bloody though. And um, and I love the story. In fact, there's a museum that's set up, and it's surprising if you've watched the film, but there's a museum set up um, about William Wallace, and I love William Wallace. William Wallace uh, was um, not nearly as famous as the film makes you out to believe, but was famous in Scotland in, in being a catalyst in leading Scotland uh, to be freed from English tyranny at that point. And um, just, just a powerful, powerful story about him. And, and one of the most beautiful parts... Of history in Paisley, Scotland. You too can fly over to Paisley today, and you can check out this museum. And it's actually a museum that's more focused on Robert the Bruce, who ultimately led. And I love the—I think the story of Robert the Bruce fits most of us well because Robert the Bruce had epic failures in his life, and epic gaps of, oh my gosh, you know, I have, I have betrayed greatly, and, and and epic moments of brokenness. And, and Robert the Bruce um, also, at the end of, of, of the film about William Wallace, has this moment that, that has seized my heart. A moment when you have blown it and you're sitting, and, and many of us have lived through these moments, and some of you are in them right now, where you're just sitting in this room going, There's no way I'm worthy of talking about the, the oneness of the Lord. You should see my life. Robert the Bruce is sitting in this tension filled moment, and, and he's really wrestling with his, his great failures and a great mission, and and he he literally says, you've ridden for William Wallace, ride for me! And he leads them into this task that's huge, and if you go over to visit the museum, you hear stories of Robert the Bruce leading Scotland to freedom. But the story that goes on, and I, I'm trying to remember Douglas's First name, I have it written down over here. But the story just carries on. That's absolutely amazing because it's, it's about Robert the Bruce and, and ultimately a guy named James Douglas. Robert the Bruce is on his last mission. He is dying and he looks at Douglas and says, my heart is for this kingdom. And if you would, I want you to take my heart and embalm my heart and carry my heart with you. And that's a little odd. But that's maybe a tradition we can begin in this church. <laughs> this is just saying there's a mission that has captured our hearts. And there's something that we want to be about that is bigger than us. And so if you would, and and James Douglas literally said, I will do this. I want you to take my heart out of my body. I want you to embalm my heart. And I want you, and James Douglas did this, carried his heart on his neck. He made a necklace for this. And he's went into missions. He carried the heart of Robert the Bruce with him. And it was telling about Douglas that Douglas actually got on a a boat and went over to Spain for a, a an endeavor, and, and he was in the Moors, and as Douglas was in the middle of the Moors, he was, it was clear that in this battle he was going to die. And this is all, once again, in Paisley, Scotland. You can see it. Uh, they've got these beautiful um, stained glass storytellers of this in Scotland, and, and um, William Wallace looks nothing like Mel Gibson. And so um, just, but it tells the story of this whole deal, and James Douglas is, is surrounded in a moment. And he's looking at imminent death. And I I love, he staked in the ground the Douglas Plan motto in this moment. For he lifted off of his head the heart of Robert the Bruce and began to swing it around his head. And he said, I fight for the heart of my king. And he threw the heart in and charged into death, shouting the word, "Forward!" I love that story because I want that to be the story of the church, the lethargic, laid back, we miss it church, the church that lives in the culture that is longing for some of us to reach in the depths of our heart and say, we have a king that is far more great. We have a king that is eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. And our lives will be spent. And here's what here's what Moses had a view of. He said, the clan of Christ Those who are a part of the Douglas clan are bigger than that, the eternal living God clan, those who are part of this little tribe that we're a part of, those of us who are in this, we should be the people who are saying, forward, forward for the glory of God. I believe Moses was sitting on a mountain looking into the hearts of his people and saying, you will go into a land, you will fight for the hearts. I imagine this, I can picture him just seeing, and I don't know that he would see something like James Douglas did, but I can see him seeing something like this happening in families, something like this happening in churches where we begin to say, this is our hearts. We will give everything. And at the very end of our lives, we will continue to say, charging into death forward. For we are a people who fight for the heart of King Jesus. I think that's what, that's what imagination is. And that's, that's That's not the black and white one-dimensional that you read of Moses. I believe Moses was leaning into his people and saying, you're entering a land that lacks passion, vision, and hope. Be that. We exist to lead. And I'm just wondering in this room, what do we imagine when you read stuff like that? I don't read a mission statement written on our brochure and think one-dimensional. I start to think, what will it look like for a room of people to rip off their hearts and say, forward. What is the mission of your heart? Because this is what I know. The church staff, your pastor can get up and I love the way one of them said it. That thing you say every day at the welcome. That's what we're about. And no, no, it's got to capture us. When we just say, God, we exist. We're here to lead people and we believe that we are leading them and illuminating the ultimate prince of peace and this is what we want to be about and we will give the rest of our days to moving forward in the name of christ because here O oh mandarin the lord our god the lord is one and the call of god is to love the lord your god with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength so let your imagination run unfettered as to how to do that because here's what I know. George Barna just told me this about four or five years ago. As I think about this and think about we exist to lead, less than 10% of the next generation... Well, I'm probably three generations from this now. Next to 10, less than 10% of, of those 18 and under can talk to you about salvation, sufficiency of Christ, sanctification, passion for the things of God. Less than 10%. And I, I thought about this. I thought this would be really cool. I'll have all of our students stand and start asking them you know theological questions and we'll kind of narrow that down because here's here's what's depressing you would say well i get that just go over to you know pick a high school one go over to nice go over the mandarin go over to crickside yeah less than 10 percent. no no barna's not talking about the high school he's talking about the church so let me just question if we exist to lead how are we leading I mean, if, if God has placed us in here to look into the hearts of our children, to step down to the lives of our preschoolers and say things like this, we want you to know that God loves you and he made you and he longs to be your forever friend. Preschoolers should walk out saying, God forever will be my friend. Children walking out saying, these are the truths that you have deeply embedded in my soul. I mean, it's incumbent upon us as a church to look at the next generation because that's, that's who Moses is dealing with. He's saying, if this is your mission, you should pour it into the hearts. There should be a whole slew in this little front who are ripping their heart off right now saying, I can already tell you in 20 different ways how I am taking forward the name of Jesus Christ. And that's how we'll know we're doing well. Not that we ourselves are well, but that here's how I think it happens. I think it happens with those who are 90 plus in this room who are taking their hearts off and saying, I'm going to teach you 70-year-olds how to be passionate. I think it begins with the 70-year-olds in this room saying, this is what I love more than anything. I love the fame of Jesus Christ, and I am tasting Him more and more the closer I get to Him. And my time on this earth is waning, and I am spending it for the gospel. That's how it's going to happen. My heart is forward for the things of God. The 50-year-olds in this room looking upward and saying, we see it, and then looking down at the 40s and saying, we'll mentor you in how to get your kids there. Because we have impressed this on their hearts. And we have dialed this into our homes. And the 40-year-olds are just saying, Wow, we don't know what's going. Our lives are crazy. But God, we want to love you. And we're looking at the 50s and 60s and 70s and saying, We see how to get there, Jesus. And what would happen with a room full of 16-year-olds who looked at a 90-year-old, an 80-year-old, and a 70-year-old and saw hearts flinging all over this room? This isn't a mystery. This is just the gospel, and this is repentance and brokenness. And this is us just sitting in the room saying, okay, God, this isn't a a, a glorious thing of we want you to be one, and we're going to amen that. No, no, this is going to affect me. This is going to affect my priorities and my passions. This is going to affect my life and where I give it. This will affect me. Abinadad, and one of my favorite stories that I shared with you early on here, Abinadad had his two sons. He was a priest. It was me, leader of the the group, telling people about how to know the Lord. His sons are handling the presence of God. Remember this story? Six steps, David, people of God with the presence of God. Let's get that back. David goes, and this story bothers me so much. And I think I even alluded to this, but this story bothers me because I don't understand the the gravity and weightiness of God because when they go and get the Ark of the Covenant, this is an Old Testament story for those that didn't hear it, the Ark of the Covenant has been misused. It's down with the Philistines. There, David is bringing it back among the people. He has this heart and he brings all the singers, got the guitarists, they're jamming, drummers, bass players, they're all there. And they're singing and dancing unto the Lord. And it's a pretty exciting atmosphere. And then they put this Ark on a cart and Uzzah, the son of Abinadath, Reaches out and steadies the presence of God, and boom, he drops dead. I always wrestled with that. And I had a friend of mine that was a pastor in town with me at Crestview, and he says, Mark, don't you get this? It's, it's, I mean, it is the, the consequence. And, and listen to this and hear this old Mandarin. The consequent was upon Uzza, but the reality is the responsibility was upon those who were before him father and his people failed to help him handle the presence of God. You see, the scripture was crystal clear. Don't ever put the ark on a cart. Put it on poles. The priest of the day failed to impress that on his heart, and Uzzah paid the price. And I'm just I'm wondering, I'm wondering here, I'm just asking, as we imagine this, I'm wondering about our responsibility before the Lord to say, God, our lives, oh Lord, reflect this. you, are one, and there is no other. I'm for you, God. If the next generation doesn't catch this, here's what it's not because I'm not living it, because my heart is being thrown forward for the sake of the glory of God, because I understand this. Here, O Lizra, the Lord your God is one. And as you walk along, and impress this upon your children, impress this upon them. I was reading this scripture and I wrote some thoughts to myself, and they're awesomely upside down. I wrote a thought or two to myself that is tragedy. I just wrote, you know, what would happen? And, and the, I mean, I forget the thoughts. Let me just read it out of Deuteronomy. I think I can pull these thoughts reading it. Tie them. And I, would it not be tragic if, if these verses played out? You're going to have cities you didn't build, houses with things you didn't provide, wells you didn't dig. Would it not be tra- It was tragedy for Moses to look and say, an entire generation discovered wealth and riches and things and become satisfied would it not be tragic if we poured into our hearts of our children the reality that something here that's temporary will satisfy you it would be tragedy if we lived and handed them everything they needed and yet didn't give the one thing that they most need that the lord our god is one the Lord our God is the one defining character trait. And he's looking and he's saying, you're going to go into land of great wealth, old Mandarin people. You're going to live there. And what do you imagine for your children? I, I drove out, I drove out, and, I, and ironically I went on to a ballpark. But I drove out and I had such an epiphany yesterday because I left the ILC and I left this conversation about the nations and my heart was just passionate. And then I drove up and, and it was like the... It was like the uh, it was like the travel ball kids, you know? And they were there. and I, you know, the, the, I've been in this travel ball network where you just like everything you've got is laid out. And I looked at that and I thought such a broken is because I thought we're going to spend thousands of dollars, thousands of hours, and thousands of years so that we can hit a ball. We will spend our lives so that maybe my kid can run a ball, hit a ball, shoot a ball, and I will miss this that I have poured into his heart that the Lord is one, And here's what Moses says, in case you're worried about that, that will be tragic. It will be tragic when we begin to say, oh God, what is it that we want to be about? We want the trophies of the lives of our children to be held high as they walk into adulthood saying, it has been impressed upon us, it has been poured into us, we have been imagined, this kingdom of God, and we want to give ourselves there. That's our mission. what we want to imagine and nobody's amening right now you guys are all like going yeah you're hurting our feelings I'm so sorry I'm hurting my own feelings I've walked around all week just broken and praying I mean I'm I'm a dad I don't know that I'm doing this well and I want to I want to impress this on my kids and say you know what there's things you're chasing that don't last but but I want you to know that in my heart the Lord is one that's what I want you to chase, and that's what we should look at the next generation and rip it off of our chest, saying, forward, I fight for the heart of the king. Yeah. I want to imagine that. I was reading in my Daily Walk Bible this week the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, and it just breaks my heart every time for the loss of influence. Literally, when Lot and Abram parted, Lot took the selfish gain way he went into a land and did the antithesis, and I don't get this, I mean, it, that story baffles me, I mean, it is filled and replete with brokenness, I mean, people came to um, desirous of raping the men that was visiting him in, in, in homosexual lifestyle, and then this is the part that just, oh. and Lot says, no, don't take my guests. you can have my daughter's, it's a crazy story, and it's a story of failure. It's a story of epic failure. And when Lot, or when Abram is talking to the three guests, and he's, he's laying this out for them, he says, look, I don't want you to destroy this place. I love these people. Some of these are my people. And he, he, he enters this interesting bargain with God that is a different sermon for a different day, but if you could just find 50 or 45 or 40, all the way down to 10. And and look at this. If Lot had just affected his family with the gospel, a city would have been changed. Still exists probably. And I look at that and think, the Lord our God is one. God, we want to be able to live and to dream and to live in the middle of this with huge imaginations of what you're doing in this area. God, we want to be able to, to live this out. And I, I don't know how to get super practical with this other than I want to share a story or two and then say, you seek God and ask him in your home and in context of this church and in context of the, the people he has placed you, how do we impress this? It literally means that Hebrew word means to push into indentation. How do we indent our lives with this truth that the Lord our God is one? Love the Lord our God with heart and soul, mind and strength. I, I, I know this much. I was, I was in a church at one point, it was in Mulberry Baptist Church, and our youth minister, Wilson Davis, one of my favorite people on the planet. He's no longer on the planet. He's in heaven now. ...quite a few years ago when Wilson just said to us... ...I want you to take a physical reminder of a spiritual reality... ...and I want you to carry that everywhere you go... ...and I want that to be in your heart. And I went home and I kind of took that seriously. Lydia, I was about your age. I was about 12 or 13 years old... ...and I remember just kind of looking at that and going... ...what do I take? What do I do? And I was walking across my dresser and I actually saw it and I knew... ...this is it. This is the physical reminder of a spiritual reality. I actually have it on today, but this is my Papa's watch... And I I literally took this and I put this and I said, God, there's a spiritual legacy that you have given me. My grandfather died when I was seven. My grandfather loved the Lord. My grandfather and grandfather lived in this little mill village. My grandmother died at 93 just a few years ago. The whole place just filled up for a little mill village woman. My grandfather, I remember going with him. He was one of those guys that literally talked to everybody. We would go to Kmart and it would be a three-hour journey because Papa was going to talk to every single person. It was just awesome. I love that kind of like dad over here, right? (laughs) I mean, just, you're going to see, I mean, I love my papa. My papa loved the Lord. And so I just, I took this as a physical reminder. It has been with me the entirety of my life for the last 40 years, 35 years. And I have just looked at this and it's walked with me through moments of rebellion with my family. And I would hold this in middle rebellion and say, God, I know what heritage I have. It walked with me when I was walking away from my parents. It walked with me when I was walking with the Lord. It walked with me on my first date. I also kept another thing that's very special. I still have it. Both of these are in my office. I walk by these both the time. This is, I plucked this from his grave when I was a little seven-year-old boy and my parents had it just kept for me. These are just two physical reminders of spiritual realities to say, look, you've got a heritage. And it's been impressed upon your life. And you're blessed. And he walked in the ways of truth. He was a part of the Douglas clan, if you will, but he was better than that. He was a part of the Christ clan. He was the one that was saying, forward for the sake of Christ. I mean, he just walked with me through great days and rebellious days, through my first dates, through some of those were not very, yeah. And so um, times when I was walking with God, times when I wasn't, I would pick this up and actually have conversations with God, not with my papa, and just saying, you know, Lord, this is what you've given me, and I'm so thankful And this was just one way that somebody looked at me, and I wonder, what's a physical reminder? There's a couple of images, one image coming up on the screen. I love my wife. I married an incredible woman. And um, all over our house is stuff like this. Like when you go out our door, it just says, when I'm afraid, I will trust in you, Lord. And that was awesome. And we just had a moment a month or two ago. um, It literally litters our house at times, and then they'll get taken down or fall down, and then she'll relitter our house with Scripture. And it's just impressing on us where we go. You know, I, I hate it. When she puts the one about gluttony on the fridge, I'm like, seriously? You know, that one gets gone quickly. And so, um, but a great moment happened a few weeks ago. I was walking by and this showed up on our pantry. And and I love that. That was my seven-year-old. And I love what you're doing with our family, Sue. And I love that she's just taking physical realities and placing them um, as spiritual truths all over our homes. Just saying, you know, this is who we are. This is what we're about. This is impressed on your heart. And I love that Julia, seven years old, is saying, uh, she used this word, and I thought that was cool. Dad, this is my life verse. I was like, yeah, I can do all things through Christ. I might have to work out who that Christ guy is. But, um, But I love that. I love it. And I can imagine great things as I look here. I can imagine the Lord just using all of my kids and all of us together for the sake of his glory, but it requires a whole slew of us who just say, God, we're we're going forward for the heart of the king. here's Here's what I long for. I long for a whole slew of people who share life together. And in that sharing of life together, our hearts are melded together as one. And this is our mission. You ready? We're going to lead. And we lead to this truth. Our Lord is one. Listen to this. He is the Lord our God. I love that word because Moses wasn't saying this is about you. He said this is about us. As a faith community, as a people after the heart of God, it requires a whole slew of us who are willing to say from one generation, listen to this, from one generation to the next generation Next generation to the next generation forward for the heart of our King. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Um, Jesus, I pray that you will give us that heart and reality. God, I pray that you would let us imagine. God, as we have a mission statement for our church that says we exist to lead people to transform living, God, I pray across this church that imaginations will run wild that will run rampant for your glory. God, I love people like Kim Carr and Brent Stake who imagined people groups across this city speaking English and acclimating to this city and meeting a great Savior. God, I love imaginations like Mike and Bonnie Snyder who imagined children being loved and cared for in an orphanage in Haiti. God, I love um, men and women that I encountered last night who imagined 675,000 people needing Christ and they're willing to sacrifice to do it. God, I love people like Monty Poole, who I just watched teach second graders, imagining what they could become as he taught them about the truths of Moses and the truths of Christ. God, I pray that people who are pouring into the lives of our students will imagine great things for them. God, I pray that moms and dads will imagine massive things for them. the hearts and lives of their kids. God, I pray that people who have silver hair in this church and who have lived a lot of years will raise their swords and teach us who are young how to run after you. God, I pray that one generation will commend the good works of you, our God, to the next. God, I pray that we will be a church who impress deeply on our hearts that, that you, oh God, are one. I pray that we write them on our foreheads, that they are scripted across our walls, that we have physical reminders of spiritual realities. I imagine that, Lord. God, I pray that you will be the central focus of this room and that the only one that will be illuminated through this church and in our homes will be the Son of God, the Living King of glory. Imagine that. You are good, Lord, and we love you. And at this moment, we respond to you in faith. We respond to you with our hearts. We respond to you with our actions. We respond to you because you are our Lord and you are one. It's in Jesus' name we pray, we imagine, and we hope. Um, Amen.